But she's not ready to confess anything at this point. She's ready to change the subject. Have you ever been nailed by someone and you know they're right and you know you're guilty and your defense is to change the subject? Let's move on to something else. That's what she does. But Jesus reveals to her, and even though the woman at the well was clearly guilty, she was not beyond the reach of Jesus. He revealed her sin, but he continued to reach out to her. And the living water of God's salvation, it's available to all those who believe in Jesus. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We'll see today, living water, verses 1 through 27. Jesus needed to go through Samaria, verses 1 through 6. Living water, we'll read about in verses 7 through 18. And in spirit and truth, verses 19 through 26. And Father, we pray that you'd open your word to us today. A familiar story to so many of us, Father. Even in familiarity, there could be great truths that can be revealed. We pray that you would do that. For us today, and perhaps, Lord, you simply want to remind us of these truths. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. In verses 7 through 15, I'll get the context for us, but we're going to look at what I titled this section, Living Water. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asked a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. 
So we find living water. Jesus, as he's sitting at the well, this woman from Samaria comes out to get water. And Jesus, being weary, he asks her for a drink. And the woman said, verse 11, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Well, we know now that that well in 1935 was measured to be 135 feet deep. And she asked, where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, drank from it himself, as well as his son and his livestock? There was history at this place. And the Samaritans, though they contended with the Israelis, they totally accepted Jacob. He called him our father. He has given us this well. There was history there. It was water that helped people live throughout the ages, but it wasn't living water. We all know that we need water to sustain life, but Jesus is speaking about a different type of water. He talks about living water several times in here in the Gospel of John. We'll discover it again in chapter 7. But Jesus answered and said a truth. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst. See, Jesus keeps turning this conversation from the physical toward the spiritual. And he keeps dropping that rope and bucket of faith down into the depths of her soul. But he's still letting the bucket down. He's not drawing it back up. There's not salvation yet. He's just letting it down slowly, continues to prod her with these things that causes her to think, of what he could be speaking about, the difference of the water at Jacob's well versus the living water that he spoke about. And we discover in John 7, 37 through 39, on the last day of the great feast, John tells us Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as scripture has said out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so here the living water in John chapter 7, Jesus speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also we know that the living water refers to salvation as well. In fact, you can't have one without the other. You have to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ to be able to obtain the living water that he has to offer. Well, being in third world country uh, before and uh, seeing the conditions that they lived in it, I just went on UNICEF's website to speak a little bit about water. Here's a paragraph that I pulled out of there. I, Jesus saying, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. She's like, yeah, no kidding. I come here every day. UNICEF had their website. They said, when water is not piped into a home, the burden of fetching it falls disproportionately on women and children, especially girls. Had one of the Sudanese men tell me that men do not fetch water. Okay, whatever. No, <laughs> I didn't say that to him. <laughs> but we just, we're different, you know, Eastern culture versus Western culture. A study of 24 sub-Saharan countries revealed that when the collection times is more than 30 minutes, an estimated 3 point, almost three and a third million children and 13 and a half million adult females are responsible for collecting water in Malawi. The UN estimates that women will 
collect water, they spent 54 minutes on average, while men spent only six minutes a day. It's disproportionate, we know that. This is someone who knew the toil of daily going out to fetch water to live. And Jesus is speaking to her about living water. In Romans 8, 5, it tells us, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh and those who live according to the spirit on the things of the spirit. Her mind is set on the things of the flesh. It's her duty. It's her responsibility. It's necessary for life. I can understand her dilemma here as Jesus talks about living water. And so then he begins to change the topic. Verses 16 through 18, he says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have rightly said, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Well, again, Jesus continues to lower that rope in that bucket. He's plunging it down deep in her soul right now. He reveals to us that this solitary woman at Jacob's well had lived no solitary life. She had had five husbands, currently was living with a guy, which I think, it's like I tried it five times. Come on, I'm, I'm giving up on marriage. Just what's the use? She's given up on that. But why would Jesus confront her about her current circumstance of life? I believe it's before this woman could be saved, she herself had to acknowledge that she was a sinner. And thus he revealed to her the sin of adultery. That's just one, but he revealed this sin of having five husbands before and now living with the guy. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But she's not ready to confess anything at this point. She's ready to change the subject. Have you ever been nailed by someone? And you know they're right, and you know you're guilty, and your defense is to change the subject. Let's move on to something else. That's what she does. But Jesus reveals to her, and even though the woman at the well was clearly guilty of the sin of adultery, she was not beyond the reach of Jesus. And that's a significant thing. He revealed her sin, but he continued to reach out to her. And the living water of God's salvation it's available to all those who believe in Jesus. Verses 19 through 26, as we wrap up for today, we'll have to pick this up in a couple of weeks in verse 27, but we're going to wrap it up in verses 19 through 26, where it says, And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say, that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, he likes to say that, doesn't he? Said it to his mom, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That verse sounds familiar to me. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, 
he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I want you just to notice for a moment that if you have a King James and a New King James, that he is in italics, it means that they inserted the he for you. So it actually reads, I who speak to you am. Now that's significant because there's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And I think this is a, a, a slight play on an I am statement that's found in the Gospel of John. It's not identified as one of the seven by theologians, but I think there's something there with the way he worded that. So the Samaritans versus the Jews. She's convicted. Yep, you rightly say you have had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And so, change of subject. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Let's talk about religion. Now, I, I don't know what she was thinking at this point. Who would want to debate Jesus? <laughs> uh, Pastor Chuck told a story once when he and Greg Laurie were on a radio station doing a live interview with a theologian from another he wasn't of Calvary Chapel. He was from some doctorate in some seminary. And so it was Pastor Chuck, Greg Laurie, and this doctorate of theology uh, talking about religion. There was a point where the doctorate of theology said on the radio live, well, Jesus didn't know the things that we know now. <laughs> so Pastor Chuck hung up. <laughs> that was the end of the radio broadcast for him. He left Greg out there by himself, and <laughs> Greg for a while thought that Pastor Chuck was uh, just being quiet. He didn't know he had hung up. So when he asked why, Greg Laurie asking Pastor Chuck, why'd you hang up? He goes, because I don't want to talk to anybody who thinks they're smarter than Jesus. She's debating with Jesus about religion. I perceive you're a prophet. Let's talk about worship. We say that this mountain, it's Mount Gerizim in Scripture that she was referring to there. The Jews say in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah is the right place to worship. And so she recognized Jesus by his dress. He was recognized as a Jewish rabbi. His clothing would have identified him as such. The fact that he knew things about her that no one else could have known or told him, she realized that there was something else going on. She perceived he was a prophet but just digging around about this, worshiping on this mountain, because it doesn't name the mountain. We know historically that it's Mount Gerizim. And I was thinking, because there were two mountains, if you remember when the children of Israel came into the promised land, that they went up on two mountains, and there was blessings and cursings shouted back and forth between the mountains. This is something that Joshua did as he entered into the promised land. But I was wondering, the mountain of blessing, it's Mount Gerizim. The mountain of cursing, it's Mount Ebel. So I think it'd be really bad if you're going to distort a temple and religion, you want to build it on partial truth. So Mount Gerizim was known as a mountain of blessing. And this is where they built a temple. And so this is something I learned this week that Josephus, the Jewish historian that lived at the time of Christ, saw the destruction of Jerusalem, or just after the time of Christ. But he witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. He was there. He wrote that Sambalat, 
built a temple for the Samaritans on this mountain. If you remember, Samballat was Nehemiah's nemesis. Remember Samballat and Tobiah? They were the ones that kept battling him. So apparently, while Nehemiah was building the wall around Jerusalem, Samballat had already built or was building a temple for the Samaritans to worship and thus dividing the two. And that temple stood there for 200 years. He also instituted a priesthood to rival that of the Jews at Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed, but then rebuilt again by Herod the Great. So it was currently standing in the days that Jesus and this woman was there at the well. The Samaritans claimed that Mount Gerizim was the mountain where Abraham brought Isaac to sacrifice on the mountain and not Mount Moriah. And so here was a bit of the contention. So Jesus responded to her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. He was saying, listen, Samaritan woman, you guys don't know what you're talking about. The Jews actually do know what they're talking about because faith comes through Israel, through the Jewish people. That's because the Messiah comes through the lineage of Abraham. But the hour is coming. He, he, he takes it from the physical place of worship whether on Mount Grism or Mount Moriah, whether in the temple of the Samaritans or the temple of Israel, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. So instead of falling into, this was an aged old debate of where do you worship? Jesus speaks about a new location. Don't worry about the old location, whether Mount Grism or Mount Moriah. God is doing a new thing. And those who worship him, it's not about a physical location. It's about the condition of a person's heart. And those who worship him will worship in spirit and truth. First Samuel 16, 7 tells us, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man sees and looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such who have a contrite spirit. And he goes on in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, God, the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're able to worship him through the spirit. And we have been created in a lesser triunity of spirit, soul and body. And through faith in Jesus Christ, our spirit then is able to connect with the spirit of God and we can worship the Father. Those who worship him will worship in spirit and truth. And only through faith in Jesus does our spirit find its rightful position in our lives. As Paul referred to in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, our whole spirit, soul, and body. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. So at this point, that bucket is there at the depths of her soul, and Jesus begins to draw it back up again. Salvation is beginning to take place. He reveals himself to her as the Messiah. And we'll find out more. Sorry, it's a cliffhanger. Have to leave you here. There's 54 verses in this chapter. I want to stay another hour? Let's go. Um, no, we'll come back to it. Because not only do we get the other side of this story of the woman at the well, we also learn about 
the harvest, as Jesus will teach his disciples about the harvest being plentiful, if we'll only look out and see the harvest that is around us. At this point, Jesus' disciples, they come back to, from buying their food. The woman will leave to go to the village to proclaim, saying, come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Frightening prospect. Because the people of the village knew this woman very well. We'll have to get back to that on March 4th. I want you to know that God is still seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And we've seen that the gift of God, that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. When the Jews normally would have traveled out of their way, Jesus went to seek and to save that which is lost. Not only to reach a woman of the village of Sychar, but the whole village with the gospel through the one. Jesus continues to reach out to those who need the gift of God's salvation. Also, we find in living water that the living water of God's salvation is available to all who believe in Jesus. And in spirit and truth, God still seeks those to worship him in spirit and truth. And perhaps today your heart, you know that you've, been, uh, you've not been worshiping God in spirit and truth. The Bible tells us only a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart can bring peace and true worship into our lives. David, a great man of faith, a great warrior, a great king, and a great musician and psalmist, he spent a time where he spent nearly nine months out of fellowship with God. And when he confessed his sin, the Lord forgave him. And he wrote this in Psalm 51, 17, that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Brokenness is what the Lord was bringing this woman to, that he was able to minister the gift of living water, the salvation of her soul. And I can't think of a better place to come to the Lord with broken and contrite hearts to restore or to refresh our relationship with the Lord. Isaiah 57, 15 tells us, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And oh, how our nation needs that reviving touch of the Lord. We need it here in our church as well, in our lives. And the Lord has promised to do such. Maybe you've been uh, caught in a cycle of uh, routine. The woman at the well, she was in a cycle of routine. It was something that was necessary for life. Sometimes uh, the cycle of routine is, you know, the nine to five job that we go to each Monday through Friday, or even more so, depending on the job you might have. It gets you into a routine that keeps you from the things of faith or distracts you from the things of faith. And you get so caught up in the routine that you forget about the necessity of spiritual life that is afforded through Jesus Christ. And even as believers, we can get distracted. But all it takes is a broken and contrite heart. All it takes is a prayer, Lord, a sincere prayer. Lord, please come to me now. I need you. It could be a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be complex. God looks, remember, man sees outwardly. 
but the Lord looks at the heart. Father, I pray that you would give us broken and contrite hearts today. We see in our nation, Lord, the events of this past week have proven once again that our nation is broken. And there is a great need for revival in our nation. Father, I believe the greater need of revival in the true sense of the word revival refers to that of reviving your own people, which speaks of your church. So I pray, Lord, that you would work the spirit of revival in our hearts. May we be willing to come to you in brokenness with contrite hearts. Lord, that you would pour into our souls a fresh filling of the living water. Lord, if salvation is needed among anyone in this church body today, Lord, let them come to that place of living water that they might be saved. But Father, for the majority of us who know you as Savior, perhaps, Lord, just a a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit is necessary this morning. We ask, Lord, that you'd work in our midst as we wait upon you in worship for one last song. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. (laughs) 